Hi, everyone. <clears throat> it's, uh, let's see, the 1st of September, 2022. My name is Luke Thomas. This is uh, episode, I think, 129 of the live chat, something like that. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I am feeling a lot better than I did uh, last week at this time, so which is great. Uh, we have a lot to get to today. Let's see. Um, there's Jake Paul, Anderson Silva stuff. Not quite confirmed, but seems like that's what's going to happen. Then let's see. We have... UFC Paris this weekend. There's a few other things going around, going along as well. So whatever you really want to get to, you guys know what to do. It's your chat as much as it is mine. So thumbs up if you're watching. Hit subscribe. You can see the little animation there if you're watching on the YouTube side of things. This will be posted as a podcast by tonight, probably before I go to bed. Um, yeah, that's it. So that's the drill. Without further ado, let's get this party started. All right, as you know, we'll go for about an hour or so with the free questions. I don't know if there'll be any paid questions today. Um, sort of a slower week in the sport here, so we'll see how that goes. If there's not, that's okay. But if there are, I'll address those after about an hour of the free questions, yeah? All right, so let's turn this one off so that doesn't be, uh, well, so that's, excuse me, so that's not annoying as shit. Did I leave my glasses out? Yeah, I got these ones, but the frames are jacked on that. Yeah, I think I did. All right, well... It'll be a glassless episode today here as I fumble through the reading. I actually, I can read okay, but nevertheless, let's give it a go. All right. First question, Luke. Um, there's been a lot of back and forth on why Usman lost, spelled wrong, lost to Leon, but I haven't really heard anyone get to the actual root of what allowed Kamaru to lose that fight. As soon as that fight was over, I got on the phone with my brother and I told him, quote, the reason Usman lost, again, spelled wrong, this fight is his lack of a submission threat, submission game, end quote. The reason being, with the, the way Usman was dominating, that fight should have he never have made it to the fifth round. No, I very much disagree with that. He had Leon in positions where a halfway decent submission game would have ended it. Word? You sure about that? This is the difference between great wrestlers like Usman and Colby and all-around elite grapplers like Habib and Islam. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like... Well, why can't Usman be like the greatest lightweight of all time? It's like, well, I don't know. They have very different games. Um, who has submitted Leon Edwards? Right? Your argument is that if you can put some decent wrestling behind it, what was the word you used with the description here? A halfway decent submission game would have ended it. Who's got submission wins over Leon Edwards? Let me think about that. Oh, wait, no one. No one does. I don't think anyone's even gotten very close with one on him. Um, it just doesn't happen. Uh, and he's fought guys who have good submissions, including but not limited to Gunnar Nelson. I don't think Gunnar Nelson really got all that close with a submission attempt ever once. Dude, this idea that like, oh, what he really just needed to have was this other incredibly difficult dimension to develop is A, kind of an unrealistic way to look at it. It's not like it's some kind of easy thing to develop given everything else he's got. And by the way, I bet he does have pretty good submissions. Um, and more to the point, it's not like Leon is just some chump ready to be up and be served, but for some kind of deficiency in Kamaru's game. I'm sure if it was possible to add a world-class submission game, to a 35-year-old guy, he would probably have added it by now. But it's all of these guys are going to have weaknesses. Habib's stand-up game was 
passable but not great. Maybe it's something like that for Kimura with the submissions. It's passable but not great. Not something he can routinely go to or routinely chooses to go to. But the idea that Leon was sort of ready to be up, ready to be served up by halfway decent submission games, no. No, my friend, I don't think that's even remotely accurate. Mm -mm. Uh, Luke, after Francis beat Gone, there was a lot of talk of him riding out his contract. Is this still the most likely outcome? Would the UFC really be willing to let him walk? Uh, would they be willing to let him walk? Sure. Depending on his demands. I do think that the likeliest outcome is that he stays. Um, because... The Fury thing is a huge fight, but it, you know, where is Fury in all of this? How do you walk without really knowing if that's going to happen? And if that doesn't happen, it's not that he couldn't potentially make some other big fights, maybe him versus Wilder or something like that. And that makes him decent money. But um, assuming they can find a, a little bit more of an accommodating middle ground, I would imagine that his best bet is to probably stay with UFC. But I still think there's a decent likelihood, again, I think the likeliest outcome is that he stays, but I think there's a very decent likelihood that he walks um, if some things become more secure as a potential future. Like, if he can lock up that Tyson Fury fight, yeah, I think he probably does walk, to be candid with you. I mean, if you could make 50 to $100 million for a single night's work, uh, how old is Francis? I think he's mid to late 30s as well. Let's see. Francis Ngannou currently sits at 35. He'll be 36 in a few days. Uh, in the 5th of September, he'll be 36. Not that's not old for heavyweight, but still. Um, that's getting a little bit... Anything closer to 40, obviously, is starting to get to the expiration date. Yeah, I, I, if I was him and that... I had a, you know... Again, these are very difficult to map out. But if I was in a situation where that was a realistic possibility... Um, I would walk too, probably, you know? So I tend to think that because of that's so uncertain and the UFC might come around a little bit more on money that um, I think, the again, the likeliest outcome is that he stays. But could they or would they let him walk? Sure, sure. Could you do a preview of uh, or interviews leading up to ADCC? No, no, not that interested. To be candid with you, I'm not even sure I'll watch ADCC this year. Uh, curious to see what happens between Galvan and Gordon Ryan. I'm told that there are some other exciting brackets. I've paid next to no attention to Nogi Jiu-Jitsu in the last few years. Um, I, there's only so much time in the day. There's only so much time on the weekends with boxing and my job. It, it, I had to make a cut somewhere. So, you know, I just don't have time to be interested in really following Nogi grappling. I, again, I sort of pay attention to the broad stroke highlights of things but mm -mm. no in interviews why i mean if you all think that bc's interview with like a random boxing trainer doesn't do well wait till we get one of, of a grappler no one's heard of they would do poorly for room service diaries i would love to get the perspective of a high a high grappler i think you mean high level who also judges or refs on how the current mma criteria has impacted mma grappling would that be possible to have a Ricardo Almeida or Vitor Sheldon Hibero come in to discuss this? For room service diaries, no. No, probably not. For other purposes, sure. Uh, 
Uh, some of the same questions about jujitsu. I'm going to skip to get somebody else get a little chance in here. Uh, if you were suddenly running the UFC tomorrow with 51% controlling interest, how would you go about addressing fighter pay? Or more importantly, what do you think you could do? Candidly, I don't know that this is the right way to look at it. It is true that Bellator ends up, folks always ask you, how much does Bellator give up? And the answer is around 46, 47%. All right, that's what they share with the fighters. Something pretty close to 50. It's a, it's a healthy amount. But the, the real reality is that they're in that position because they, they have to be, to, be able, to be able to compete and have the roster that they do. And Bellator's roster is actually pretty good, right? All, all things being what they are. For a non-UFC MMA organization, Bellator has a very, very good roster. Um. But they have to put themselves in that position. I think it's really wrong to think that what we should do is rely on the generosity of the folks in power. I just think that's a really um, wishful, unreliable way to do it. I know what the question says. If you had a controlling interest, would you raise fighter pay? Yeah, sure, I would. But I, I don't. This, this, the way to look at it is. Um, something needs to be set in stone that protects the interests of fighters. That could be the establishment of a union that has legal backing and authority to do what unions do. It could be the extension of the Ali Act, right, which would be federal law, right? So there's this real backing there that could potentially change their fortunes. Or if the antitrust case were to go forward, and God only knows what permutation it could take, but there was some kind of ruling that then had a clear and direct impact on the fighters by virtue of targeting their interests in some kind of way as to address the antitrust concerns. Sure, I'd be okay with that, but I think just leaving it to the executives is a disastrous way to look at it. It's not in their interest to really do it, and... and Yes, I could, you know, if I was king for a day, I could make these changes, but then they could just be undone right after that. What you would want, you the way to, I really, I'm not trying to dodge a fun question. I'm trying to be very honest about this. What we should all hope for is if you want fighter pay issues to be addressed and in some ways meaningfully assuaged, what you're really hoping for is that something that has the binding authority of law to make that difference. Whatever, whatever mechanism you think is the best to get there. That's the answer. And you can, we can all debate what's the best version of that, unions and, or what. Fine. Uh, there's a great debate to be had there. In fact, I think that's the only debate to be had really on the case of fighter pay. But these should... There's a lot of things about like, oh, if you were king for a day, what would you do? And you know, I get asked before. I think I got asked in like the last live chat, you know, can you convince fans? But convincing fans is not the point. It's you have to convince legislators, or you have to convince this judge, or you have to convince, um, you know, your fellow fighters in the event that you want to actually unionize, right? You're going to go forward with that process, um, or the you know there has to be a ruling that they're not actually independent contractors or employees. Like there has to be some kind of force of law that actually changes that. You need that written in in stone, of course, metaphorically speaking, but you need something written down in that way. That's what they need. They need the actual full protection of something that is in 
writing that has legal binding authority. The UFC will obey that. They will obey that because they have to obey that. That's what you need. You need that mechanism. You're asking how I would address fighter pay. I can't, as an executive, meaningfully, in, I can't sign the stroke of my pen as UFC president and make the Ali Act extended. I can't do that and make unions extended. So, you know, would I try to, like, look at the books and make things more equitable? Of course, I suppose. But that's not, that's not how we fix this. We're in the real world. And in the real world, what the law says is our best bet of getting there. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the 17-year-old uh, Rosas Jr. Rosas Jr. fighting on the Contender Series in a little over two weeks? Should there be any pushback to a minor fighting a 25-year-old, or is this just how MMA operates? Well, because he's 18, I will say this. You have to be 18 to do it, and so you might be saying, well, how can you do it at 17? He will have to get a waiver from the Nevada Athletic Commission. Now, there have been other ones where I've seen that case. In fact, did you guys remember when I was in... Uh, just recently, we didn't have coverage live of the Nunez versus um, Pena rematch because I was covering the Danny Garcia, uh, Jose Benavidez Jr. fight. Well, Jose Benavidez Jr., he was shot in the leg several years ago, and it's really impacted his mobility. He can't move around as much hardly anymore, which made Danny Garcia, I think, have a nice performance, but still raised some questions about whether 154 is a good weight class for him. I bring this up to say it's kind of a sad story about Jose Benavidez Jr. because while he was able to survive the, sh the attack and has resumed his boxing career, he was never really the same afterwards. He was a prodigious uh, and, like, I mean, as blue chip a prospect as it came. In fact, he was a guy who wanted to declare pro at 16, I think did it at 17, and he got a waiver as well, I believe from the Nevada Athletic Commission, in order to compete. So there have been cases... Where that is in place. So what I would say is, as a rule, I like that you need to be 18 or older to get a professional license. I like that there can be exceptions on a case-by-case -case basis. They should be very few and far between. I've not seen enough tape, or really any tape. I, I saw the interview he did, um, uh, Rosas Jr., where he discussed his readiness. I tend to think at 17, you don't really know what readiness is. But, um, you know, if he can convince the commission and... You know, these are seldom occurrences. Then, I, as a general rule, I don't have a whole lot of uh, problems with it. Like, are you asking me other seventeen-year-old guys ready to beat the shit out twenty-five-year-old guys? Yeah, sure. Probably not a whole lot of them. Probably not something we should do very often. But a strict prohibition of it seems also a little bit um, absurd. Luke, with one championship getting that Amazon Prime deal, does the UFC see them as a threat, or at least should they put on stronger fight night cards? I doubt they see them as a threat at all. In fact, here's another question right below it about the same thing. Quote, my friend and I have been arguing for a while about 1FC. Okay. His stance is that one will overtake the UFC as the largest promotion because fighters will get tired of mistreatment by the UFC. Oh, buddy, your friend is deeply wrong whoa i.e lack of promotion fighter pay lack of appreciation of martial arts oh my god no this is none of that is true as well as the recent deal with amazon that's a maybe that's a maybe my position is i don't see how it happens yes you are the correct one 
Consider no other major sports league has been overtaken by another startup league, NFL versus XFL, as well as, or you could say, you know, NBA, ABA, but as well as the fact that if fighters wanted to leave and go to one, they would have already, right? Not to mention the UFC has established themselves around the world with training facilities and ability to recruit young talent through regional promotions. What is your take on whether you think this is possible? Yeah, your friend is very, very, very confused. Very confused. Um... <laughs> I've been covering fights professionally in some manner for roughly 15 years. If you think, quote, fighters will get tired of mistreatment by the UFC, lack of promotion, fighter pay, lack of appreciation for martial arts, martial arts excuse me. If that's a train that you think is coming, buddy, you're going to die alone and weathered at the fucking train station, whatever the proper description is here. Yeah, that's, that's silliness. That's never going to happen. Many of them candidly are in a position where based on their skill set and based on their positioning within a division some are going to make more money if they go to a one or a bellator and for them i hope they have those options but for many of them their best chance is going to be in ufc and and i think many of them think that they have the best chance of making the most amount of money so there's that issue as well uh many don't think that they're getting mistreated some do many in fact many do but many don't really want to do anything about it the lack of promotion Here's a funny thing. Why do you guys think that boxing uh, headliners are very, very careful about thanking the media? And in MMA, much of the fighters could take or leave the media without much concern. Why would that be? Just because they're nicer in boxing or they just care more about media? No. It's because if you're a headlining guy or co-headlining or in some sort of role where um, you benefit from additional coverage and fire and, and, and media showing up. It's because you have a stake in the in the game. You have skin in the game, right? If you are trying to sell pay per views or get bigger ratings so you can get on pay per view in an individual network, and more media shows up, that's why you thank them. It's not because you're a nicer person or you're just oh they're just better people. Although I do think that boxing has less hostility towards one another, believe it or not, but. That's the attitude. The MMA fighters and UFC fighters, they don't have any skin in the game. Now, some you know are more savvy about leveraging it than others, but you can see why over the course of a fighter's career, if they don't really have any say uh, or like directly benefit from additional media exposure, they just have a job to do and just to show up, you can see how it just becomes, they just become noise to them, right? That's, that's sort of how all of that works. So you say lack of promotion. Yeah, I mean, some want more promotion. You know, UFC has certainly had its issues, but they're, for the most part, pretty capable promoters. And again, they're going to pay more than a lot of other places. What you have to understand about this whole issue is, dude, what your friend is trying to argue to simplify this whole thing is that an upstart promotion that is based uh, in uh, Southeast Asia and I think has largely developed preferences in accordance with those audiences, that because they've signed a deal with, admittedly, a massive company, Amazon, that that's going to undo what is basically a monopolistic hold over the MMA industry. Boy, that seems very naive. Very, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy, and he has good reasons to like one. But that is incredibly naive. Folks, their control of the industry is baked in. It will take something like their own insane levels of mismanagement, which they don't show. UFC seems to be pretty locked on and dialed in for the most part. Right? It's going to take either that, which seems deeply unlikely, or getting back to the previous part of the conversation, it's going to take something by force of law to disrupt the industry to allow the competitors to do to do better. Uh, as it stands now, the chance of any of those things happening is 
infinitesimally small. Now, what I will say is, I do think that the fact that Amazon is in the MMA business in a full-throated way in the American market is actually pretty interesting. I do think that's interesting. Um, As I said on MK, you know, if you got to look around, like, putting UFC to the side just with Bellator 1 and PFL, and of course, I realize there's Cage Warriors and other ones, but if you wanted to call Bellator, PFL, and 1 sort of your big three, um, PFL... And Bellator, I think, have some reflecting to do because to me, one has the most dynamic and different product to UFC. I think what your friend is kind of identifying is something that I will say in this case is commendable and interesting and observant, which is that their product is different. They have other martial arts on their shows, which I don't think, I don't know how good that is for the American product, but it is at least for the hardcore MMA fan, it is at least a genuine alternative. And I really think that the fact that they use those small gloves for like Thai, Muay Thai and kickboxing fights, um, I do think that is a clever innovation. They'd allow for a more liberal rule set in certain predicaments like Johnson Marais won and in some other cases. And, you know, the way that they score is also, I think, a little bit better as well relative to the 10-point must system. That's a genuine alternative. What Bellator and I think PFL are ultimately going to struggle with is that in the end, you can package how you arrange or matchmake the fights. But in the end, the fights are all just UFC light. You know, and some of them are on par with UFC quality, obviously. In some cases, they might surpass. Uh, But in general, they are UFC light. They do not have the same amount of access to the overall body of elite level MMA fighters worldwide. The UFC has the vast majority of them. So, you know, like the fighters are just going to get up and realize that they have been mistreated and they would like things to change and they're just going to go sign with other promotions. No, that, no, mm -mm. that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in large part because many of them can still make most or I should say, enough of them will believe anyway, and some of them this will be for, for sure true, they will believe, and some will be right, that they can make more money doing something else, uh, staying with UFC, or at least trying to make more money in UFC. Whether they ultimately do is a separate matter, but that they could reasonably make a claim that they could make more money there. Um, but, of course, part of that is the fact that they have monopolistic control over the industry, right? This is, how do you undo that? Until that is undone. Now, once that's undone, if such a thing is ever made possible, well, then it could be a very different conversation. But as it stands today, they've got the vast majority of the talent on lock. They've got them for long contracts. Um, they have profound control over matchmaking and virtually every other part of any, not athletic commission uh, observation per se, but... Um, every other part of the process other than the fights themselves. And even then they have a hand in sort of how those look. They have total control, basically. That's that's the issue. Enough people being like, I don't like this. Like, that's going to undo a monopoly? Don't think so. What's it like being a producer for MK? I don't know. Are you on your phone or are you not on your phone? It's a good question. How do you get a job like that? You have to work for either CBS or one of the studios that Showtime employs. What skills do you need? I don't know. It's a great question. (laughs) I'm teasing. Uh, In an ideal world, video editing skills, uh, editorial news judgment, which people think they have and usually don't, 
go getterness or I should say like a like you got to be a real go getter um, out there. Um, you should be creative. You should have um, the ability to come up with segments. You should have a Rolodex that you've developed of managers, fighters, and other folks of the like. You have to facilitate making things happen. That's your whole job. Your whole job should be spent all day basically trying to facilitate those things. Um, yeah, that that's the answer in, in, in an ideal world. Uh, have you ever considered being a contractor of sorts to fighters and gyms to do fight analytics on their future opponents? No. As I've said before, I've had a few people reach out for me to give them some help. Um, on occasion, I have looked at a couple of things, but in general, no, I don't. I decline those uh, opportunities. I don't. I don't. It's not that I don't want to do that. It's just that I don't believe it's appropriate for me to do that. Uh, let's see. Next for Marab after a performance like that against Aldo. Um, I don't know. He didn't really do himself a lot of favors with that. He was that was supposed to be either a fail to graduate or graduate, which in the in the instance of a loss, or to be a graduating performance in the event of a win. But he didn't get it. He had the win without the graduating performance that makes the significance of that win possible. So, I think he probably needs another fight against a top contender. Um, maybe the winner of like Sandhagen and, and Song Yudong or something like that. Some, some kind of uh, other battle-tested top guy. And I think that something there needs to be shown. Because like we, that, that fight played out exactly like we thought it was going to play out. Aldo was going to be the technically better of the two. Marab was going to have a gas tank like no other. Which one would be the victor here? And the answer was, okay, Marab got the win... But in terms of like really meaningfully showing, I'm more than just an incredible gas tank, right? I'm more than just the sort of pre-fight packaging around this. It, it played right into it as opposed to right around it. And as a consequence, there just wasn't enough of a proving through the process to make that known. Uh, let's see. Luke, I know your wife's culture and heritage play a major role in raising your child, but what about teaching your daughter about your Armenian side? Yeah, I don't know anything about my Armenian side, really. There's a lot of Armenians in the D.C. area, including youth groups, etc., that your daughter could join when it's appropriate. I know it's a little different than your wife's connection to Colombia, but I think at least exposing your daughter to Armenian culture one day would be valuable in her development. Obviously, if you can't tell, I am Armenian like you. My family went to Syria and Lebanon before going to the States. Take care and God bless. Yeah, here's the problem with all of that, which is... Um, my mom instilled in me an appreciation for uh, Lebanon in particular and international life uh, specifically as well, like getting out, seeing the world, understanding world cultures, and then more some than others, obviously the one she grew up with, French as well. Um, everyone in my family spoke French. Um, but in terms of what it means to be Armenian, I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. I don't really know a whole lot. Um, I... I um, I'm not even sure my family, even on her side, spoke Armenian at home. I think they spoke French, Arabic, and English more than, and maybe even a little bit of German more than they spoke Armenian. Um, now, I did give my daughter a middle, a uh, her middle name is Armenian. 
my brother is going to, he has, he's having a child and he's going to name his child with a middle name. That's Armenian. Um, you know, I've tried to, in my adult life, read up as much on it as I can. Uh, I tried to go back there and learn more about the Armenian diaspora. I've, I've, you know, I've sort of looked into it in a, like a due diligence kind of way, but in a culturally immersed kind of way, I don't, I don't really know what it would mean, to be candid with you. I wouldn't even know where to look or to start, and I wouldn't even know what value to get out of it. Um, so it's weird. I've got this, on the one hand, I've got this sort of international background and then this entire process as I grew up to like look beyond the shores of the states not for some kind of salvation but for you know the world is round you have one life go see it and that I had some roots outside of these things but my mom always made her identity about Beirut about about Lebanon never never a whole lot about Armenia which is kind of crazy because the whole reason they ended up in Syria her family did was that they fled the Turkish genocide um, when Armenians were being slaughtered by the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, which the Turkish government to this day still denies. Um, that's the whole reason they ended up there. But somewhere along the way, it got lost in her family about this sort of like native Armenian identity. And it became about Beirut Lebanese identity. And that's my only real connection to it. So I'm not like opposed to it, but I, I would need some pretty significant handholding. I don't even know where to start, candidly. I had someone write me an email about this before. It's like, why don't you lean into that? Why do you lean into like, you know, just sort of being a standard American white guy? It's because it's what I mostly know. Um, it's what I mostly know. Guys, uh, Luke, is it just me or will we see more and more guys jumping on submissions when they rock their opponent instead of going for the K or TKO? No. I think if anything, most people have gotten away from it because it seems tempting. It seems very tempting. But the, the most people don't have that kind of clamp, right? I, I talk about this all the time. If you guys have watched this live chat, this is not the first time you've heard me bring this up. Namely, there are certain people in jiu-jitsu who can ultimately find their way to a submission. They might have much better positioning. They might be big and strong, top control guy, whatever. Or, you know, we have good guard underneath or something. And they can neutralize threats. But the people who have, especially with their arms, the people who have quick clamps where they can make contact with their opponent and through the initial form of contact, they can find a biting locked in or nearly locked in uh, through control position. That's a very rare skill and you see those guys or ladies right away. I think you have to have that in order to be like the guy who can like rock you and then, you know, jump on a guillotine or something like that. It doesn't, it's not nearly as automatic as you might imagine. It's a separate skill inside the sport of jujitsu that even very good grapplers don't necessarily have. It's a unique kind of thing. So do I think we'll see more of that? No, I think most grapplers kind of know their limits about finding submissions. They can do it under certain circumstances. They might have, obviously, you know, great rear naked choke, great triangle, whatever the case may be. But that ability to go bop, bop, and then I see someone rocked, and then to, you know, jump on a guillotine or something like that, and then pull it up or whatever, that, that ability to find that clamp, that's an alligator bite. You know, there's lots of different biting animals in the, in the woods, but not everyone has that kind of clamp. That's a special kind of clamp. That, those, that decision to then rock and then jump on something, let's say it's a guillotine, that should be reserved for the folks who've got good clamps. Because everyone else is just going to be not wasting their time, but not maximizing their chances.
Have you seen the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once? I started it. I have not finished. I have not finished. What else does DJ accomplish before he retires? A, wins a belt in Bellator. No. Wins a PFL season. No. Wins a BKFC belt. Maybe. Maybe. All of the above. No. Any combination of, of A, B, or C. No. It's either, it's just C or nothing. I mean, probably nothing. I, I tend to think he probably will finish out his career in one. Hard to say exactly, but seems like it's headed in that direction. And why not else, dude? Like, he is extremely valuable for them. He's doing really well over there. That when he had against Moraes was the, not money, not much bad things you can say about it. And to be 36 and still relevant, you know, fighting guys that big when you're naturally much more. It's just crazy. It's crazy how good he is. Dude, where are all the thumbs up? Here we go. Let's find some. Uh, ADCC 77 kilo division is stacked this year. Tonin, Galvan, Ruotolo, and more. Who are you taking on the gold? Oh, it's but isn't it isn't it is it Micah Galvan? Who I saw I saw him recently. I did see him compete recently, and he was a fucking pff, he ran over some poor kid. Luke, how are you able to watch La Liga over the English Premiership? I like it better. Not that hard. <laughs> Dude, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I'm not going to have this debate over and over again. The, the, the people who like English uh, Premier League, they think it's way better than it is. Please don't misunderstand me. It's the most dynamic league in, in world football. Certainly in the Europe European circuit of UK, uh, France, and Spain, and Italy, and Germany. These the, sort of the big five. By far the best of those. By far the best in the world. Like, I get it. I'm not here to argue otherwise. But this whole bullshit like, oh, well, what could Valencia do when they come over and fight Stoke on a rainy day? Probably take Stoke's lunch money. Like, the league is overall better, but there is a consistent, massive overrating of that league in certain ways that I is it, that the diehards just refuse to see. Dude, this, this fucking nonsense that there's two teams in La Liga, that only happens when people don't watch La Liga. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. I was watching, it's weird. Um, here, you can watch anything you want here in the States, right? So if you want to watch Champions League, it's on Paramount Plus, which I have. You want to watch Madrid, that's my team. La Liga, you can watch it on ESPN or ESPN Plus. That's part I pay for ESPN Plus, not just for UFC and PFL, but for that as well. Uh, if you want to watch Bundesliga, I think they're on Fox Sports or wherever the fuck they are. You can watch it on NBC Sports. You can watch in Premier League. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there's MLS all over the place. I go to local games here on occasion. Um, you know, so you can watch whatever you want, but uh, if if there's like if they're airing on uh, linear TV and they have to make a call between like let's say a couple Champions League games and it's like Madrid versus Juventus, but then the other one is I'll make up something Man United versus Bayern or something. They're gonna go with the big English team here, which I totally understand. I get that. I don't. I'm not objecting to anything. I'm not mad about the way we get soccer over here because when I was a kid, this was unfathomable. So like all I can do is be, be grateful. But what I'm trying to tell you is I was just on vacation in Colombia. They don't do that there. It's the, it's the exact opposite because I think there's such a pipeline between Spanish speaking, a country like that. And then obviously Spanish speaking players that get recruited to go play there. Um, not just Colombian, of course, but from all over Spanish speaking, Latin America and, and whatever else, they are much more interested in the La Liga product. Um, it's a different style of play. I think it's, to me, not always. Obviously, you're going to get shitty games over there in large part too, but 
you know, to, there's a claim that like, oh, there's two good teams over there. That's just fucking nonsense. It's complete bullshit. Like, I have seen seasons where I thought Celta Vigo could have beaten a lot of Premier League teams. We'll see about this season. I don't know about that. Valencia, time to time, is good. Sevilla is good, uh, time to time. Obviously, Atletico Madrid is having a rough start this season, but, you know, they're powerhouses as well. Again, I am not telling you La Liga is on par with Premier League. It is not. It is not on par. But what I am telling you is that, like, there's this claim, like, how could you watch it over the Premier League? I don't like their style of play. It's a lot more rugged bullshit and running than... Uh, I think um, a little bit more, what would I call that? Uh, considered kind of style of play. And more importantly, here's just the biggest reason. I like to watch Madrid games. Well, Madrid is in La Liga, so I'm going to watch other La Liga games. So, you know, watch what you like is the answer. I like La Liga. I don't I don't give a shit about Fulham FC. I don't give a shit about Nottingham Forest. I don't give a shit about Stoke. I don't give a fuck about any of these teams. And I don't think that very many of them are all that good. In fact, I think the way in which people talk about them being good is largely bullshit. And I don't think they're better than mid-table Spanish teams at all. So, yeah, that's my belief. Best seminar you've ever been to. Best grappling you had the opportunity to train with. Um, best seminar... Probably Gary Tonin Leglock seminar. This must have been eight, six years ago, something like something like that. Really good, really good seminar. Um, best grappler you had the ability to train with. Um, oh well, the thing was, I took a Meow Brother se- seminar, but like, you know, I'm like two of them in one person, so I, I mean, my game is not all that well suited. But I got to roll with, uh, I think it was Joan. That was. Short-lived. Marillo Santana, another one. Um, I did not get to roll with Gary, I don't believe, which would have been, you know, a bloodbath anyway. Uh, so Marillo probably is the best one. Marillo Santana, whose grip is extraordinary, among many other things. Uh, your opinion on one championship and the diversity of fighters they have on their roster. See, this is the part. Did you see the match between Hanato Canuto and Tommy Longacker? I'm mispronouncing his last name, I'm sure. Uh, the back take was so filthy. Yes, and that was a short 10-minute match, and Canuto's very good. I was actually somewhat surprised by that. I, I'm Again, I don't keep up with Nogi grappling enough to be uh, uh, as understanding of the, the various top-level players in a way that I once used to be, but... What I can say is this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Like they, they when you have access to um like think about it. If they were doing just an MMA product, how many world class athletes and top level fighters would they have on their roster? Not as many. But if you expanded the scope to Thai boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, you now have access to top level people much more than you otherwise would have. Now, I don't know how ready the American audience is for stuff like this, to be candid with you. This, like, respect for the martial arts, it sounds real nice, but the American market has kind of shown they have simpler tastes, for better or for worse. They kind of do. So this is why it's like, hmm, the Amazon partnership is interesting. That, to me, seems very, very noteworthy. I'm very curious to see what happens with that. But on the other hand... Uh, while the product is different in a very meaningful way, it might be too different. That's the other part of the equation here. By the way, the last thing I'd say about the Amazon deal, and I can't stress this enough, the big thing that I thought really hurt Bellator, really, really hurt them, was not being on DAZN per se. Right? DAZN is just a platform. Either you're going to go to it or you're not. 
does the stream work, does it not? For the most part, their streams worked. It wasn't really an issue. If I have issues with any... When I say issues, I mean like, I'm not beef, but I mean like in using a product. Remember, I, I pay for ESPN Plus not just for MMA. I pay for it for soccer as well. That's how I get most of my Madrid games. Um, the truth of that is like that service it routinely has problems. Like routinely. DAZN, I've never had much of an issue using their product, okay? Um, and I say that as a customer in either case. <coughs> what I'm trying to point out is when you're with ESPN, it's not just that you're airing on ESPN+, Plus, although that can probably help as well. The reality is that ESPN, it's not really a news entity anymore, but it is a storytelling outlet. That's what it does. It's not just the live shows that they have, although that can be it too. It's the army of producers they have to put together video packages and set up interviews and shoot things in a unique way and put together these unbelievable uh, hype packages or uh, all the different ways, written pieces, you name it. Dude, that machine can tell the stories of fighters and fights and events probably almost better than any other place in the world given all the talent, all the access to IP that they have. They Remember, they partner with UFC. That's the key. When they went to DAZN, no one was telling their stories. DAZN was like, yeah, we'll air your shit. We'll give you money for it. But they didn't really have any kind of internal operating team in any kind of meaningful way to, to tell the stories of the big fights. So the profile kind of got hindered there. Similar to one and Amazon. Dude, it's great to be on Amazon. They've got a lot of money. I'm sure they're giving us a fair amount of it to get these cards. And I thought that first card they had really delivered. I thought it was great. But in the end, who is going to tell one's stories? One's fighter stories? One's Who is that entity out there that's going to do that? Just signing a promotion and airing their fights and then asking to put on good ones, especially if they're largely based in a you know in an Asian market and an Asian sensibility. I don't know what Asian sensibility would mean, so let me walk that back. What I mean to say is Asian consumer sensibility. Someone needs to tell their stories on the American side, and it can't just be like, "Oh, it should be them." They can do part of it, but they need a partner. Excuse me, they need a partner to do the rest of it. And Spike TV did a lot of this as well. Spike TV through The Ultimate Fighter, through some of these other shows, when UFC was still coming up, they were telling the stories. That's what you need. When any big fight promotion signs a deal with, hey, we're going to be on this you know, network entity, it doesn't really matter to me you know, uh, what the network entity is. Most of these streaming services work. Here I am on YouTube. This mostly works, right? This mostly works. Mostly. <laughs> but you get the idea. Like that to me, that's not the big deal. The big deal is there needs to be an accompanying editorial side to everything that promotes through dynamic, new, interesting forms of content all of the various stories of the fighters, the fights, and the events and the organization. Someone has to do that. Um, by the way, when UFC was with Fox Sports, you know, to varying degrees of success, they did the same thing. They told stories. So, you know, can one succeed on Amazon? It really depends what Amazon does with it. If they just treat it like, hey, you're here and we're not really prepared to put any other effort into like, you know, ancillary uh, or or any kind of program, uh, you know, any kind of shoulder programming to buttress this, then it won't be it won't mean very much in the end. 
Luke, I watched BKFC for the first time last week. I was amazed at the tempo of the fights. Yeah, they're fast. Two-minute rounds and the production value. My question is, why not allow all the winning fighters outside the main event and co-main event positions to get post-fight in-cage interviews? Jesus, I have no idea. That's a, that's a couldn't tell you. Maybe they're trying to trim fat off the broadcast. I really don't know. Is there anything to be said for Trevor Whitman's run of title fight losses this year? Yeah, some years are better than others. And trying to keep a a uh, a monopoly on success as a coach in the fight game is impossible. There are figures that have lasting success, but they have down and up years too. You go over to boxing, Nacho Berestein. You know, Nacho has had unbelievable success. Hall of Famer trainer, but I suppose he'll be one day. I mean, he might have already been entered at this point. I don't even know. But he certainly is one of the most remarkable boxing trainers you'll ever see. You know, not every year was his fucking year, man. How about Freddie Roach? Freddie Roach will certainly be one of the best boxer tra boxing trainers of any era. Dude, he's had a lot of downs and, and, and some ups as well. Um, so part of I me, mean, dude, I, I grew up in an era when Jackson's gym was the gym. Look at it now. Like, it's certainly not a bad gym, but it's not what it was. It's impossible to maintain these kinds of, you know, hegemony as a trainer who beats all the other trainers it's it's quite difficult fighters get old fighters make mistakes you make mistakes the, the game catches up it gets better some of the things that got you to the dance are no longer as relevantly uh impactful it it's very hard to explain this until you've lived enough life and even now i'm sure i don't fully understand it a lot of times when we see something go right we kind of treat that as like a as, as almost having inertia for the future. Ah, this person achieved this success at a very high level. Well, now that they're here, well, they will just always be here. But dude, you know, like Biggie said, your, the, your reign at the top is short like leprechauns. Dude, it's very hard. Very hard to not really get to a place, but to stay relevant with all the different ways in which you're coaching, with your ideas about the game, how well you're instilling them, how you're apportioning your time. I would have to have a better sense internally in what is happening in Trevor Whitman's camps to give you some kind of answer. It's not like he's taking fighters and bringing them unprepared. Kamar Usman was not unprepared. Rose had ultimately a very underwhelming performance, but she didn't look unprepared to me. I wouldn't necessarily say that. Justin Gaethje, I think uh, he's been uh, solved is not the right word, but I think his competitors have found better ways to deal with some of his threats. And and excuse me, um, Charles Oliveira is perhaps a uniquely bad matchup for him in that way. So, you know, the game catches up. You have an off night. Another fighter stays dialed in when another fighter should have been doing maybe something else. And all of a sudden, you're just not in the same position you once were. And it could be other ones that you can talk to. Yeah, like, if you're asking, is there a common denominator there? It's impossible to answer from this distance. I suspect there probably could be something, but I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if there's just not. That this is just, this is just the way the fight game goes. Eugene Behrman's going to take L's too. Eventually, Izzy, if he sticks around long enough, he will lose. He might lose in his next fight. You know, and Volkanovski, if he sticks around long enough, he'll lose too. The fight game will consume everyone, 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 everyone. If you stick, the only way to beat the game is to exit it. That's it. That's it, man. There's no other way to do it. And so if you stick around long enough, the game catches up. You get old. You maybe cut a couple corners and you weren't realizing it. Somebody had an off night. You, you, however your 
apportioning your time at home. It's affecting your ability to be a cornerman and give strategic advice. Like there's all different ways that, and remember the difference between these guys, it might seem vast, but really on a fight night, it's that much. It's that much. And so all it takes for that apple cart to get turned over is a slight change in the variables and boom, the whole thing is different now. It's very difficult to stay on top, truly in any industry, but especially in this one for fighters and coaches. Very, 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 very difficult. Very difficult. <laughs> uh, which scenario would make you ponder ending it all more? <laughs> Being a guest on Oscar Willis's and David Adesanya's podcast or doing a show with BC where you are only allowed to cut off his rambles a maximum of three times? If you aren't familiar with the first, just looking at the thumbnail for their UFC Paris episode should explain everything. I've not seen it. Uh... How much do we have to pay you to spar with Jed Mishu on Between the Links? I'm guessing that MMA fighting has banned me from ever returning. Um, I like Jed a lot. I would also not accept any invitation to return there on, under any circumstance. That aside, um, I, I <laughs> you know, when I was sitting there with BC and he was asking, you know, Danny Sabatello, have you, does this fighting this guy get you so excited that you have an erection? Um, you know, what are you supposed to ask a guy like that under these insane scenarios? I mean, the whole thing was silly to begin with, right? If he's going to be silly, he's going to do silly shit. You should ask a silly question. I'm surprised I didn't ask it more. Um, that's not really my wheelhouse. I think BC sort of better suited for that kind of thing, but you know, like I didn't want to end it all. I just was like, this was insane. It was, it was beyond insane. Uh, I won't get too far into this. Thoughts on the government for giving 10K of college debt to people? I've seen a lot of people not supporting it just because they already paid their college debt and they see it as unfair to them. Yeah, these arguments are totally unconvincing to me. Uh, listen, uh, I have heard all of them at this point. Uh, well, what about the ones who already paid? What about them? The question is not whether or not you can find something perfectly helpful to all use cases here. I don't even know what that policy would look like. And some people certainly would not even need it, like the ones who are ultra-wealthy or even modestly wealthy. They don't need this help anyway, but you could erase all of their debt. Would that be this sort of perfect legislation for all use cases? What you're just looking for is impactful legislation. And you, by the way, advocates were looking for 50 k and up. If you actually sort of um, go back and see what they were lobbying for during Biden's campaign, uh, 10K for some, and of course they were Pell Grant eligible, it's up to 20K. Listen, folks, 90% of this relief is going to go to folks borrowers who make $75,000 or less. This idea that it's paying for Harvard grads or lazy doctors or, you know, what's the sort of standard trope like gender studies majors in Berkeley and shit like that. It's basically total nonsense. It doesn't, it's not true at all. This goes and targets people who are desperately in need of help. The question is, does it go far enough? Obviously not. Could there be some concerns about if this passes? Um, and by the way, it looks like the Republicans are going to sue to stop it and they might be successful because, um, well, yeah, anyway, they, they could be successful, but, uh, but let's say it goes through and that's, this is what it is. Um, could this, does this really address the more root issue of causes, uh, excuse me, of, of uh, colleges being insanely, uh, having insane skyrocketing co costs and being generally unaffordable in ways that they, 
um, shouldn't be. No, it doesn't solve those problems at all. And, and there is an argument to be made that potentially it could exacerbate it, although even those economic arguments are not very strong. The argument is basically like he tried to do something about it. I'm going to take something over nothing. Uh, Americans have a weird obsession with debt that like, you know, you should be able to get out of it. Uh, it doesn't really matter what it is. The reality is if you look at the numbers, um, most people, or I shouldn't say most, many people who are saving for retirement are going to find later in life that all of that nest egg is going to go and be eaten up by some unforeseen medical event. My sister got cancer twice in her 40s. She survived, but it destroyed, you know, uh, I mean, she was okay, but for a time it destroyed her financially, as it would for many Americans. Um, and yet we're told to just live with medical debt as if this is some kind of normal way of living a life or certainly any kind of way of living a life that's worth living, to be quite candid with you. Um, I can tell you very distinctly that when I was coming out of high school, so this is around 1998, 2000, people were in that era. So, you know, I was, I was, I was went to college fall of 98. I graduated in, um, in summer or May, whatever, of 2002. It was widely believed and widely disseminated that you should take on loans. Doesn't matter how bad they are because in the end, these will all pay for them themselves and for many folks I know guys my buddy's an attorney he does pretty well he lives down in Tampa he just made partner I mean he still has hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt from law school uh, because he had to take all that on because he just this is a, that was what the belief was of the system and he didn't have any parental support to get there and he is not doing poorly he is not lazy he is super hardworking, and they are just drowning in debt as a consequence right so and I, he doesn't even get any of this relief because he doesn't even qualify. But the point I'm trying to make to you is like if somebody can do something good, even if imperfect, and even if in many ways um, not the wider solution that should be available, that's not a reason to not do it. That's still a reason to do it. It's just to sort of recognize that it might have a, a, an otherwise limited impact to the scale of the problem. But if you're talking about who's being targeted by this loan relief, it is largely people making $75,000 as a borrower per, per year or less. These folks need help. A lot of these folks were just uh, led to believe about a lot of bullshit about what college would do for them. Um, I, I couldn't, I don't give a flying fuck at all if my tax dollars, which they don't really, but I have zero issue with, with, with debt relief for the average consumer and the average American. And I don't think we actually do enough debt relief. I do think medical debt relief should be a thing. Um, and many other forms of debt as well, actually. we This idea that debt is some kind of useful thing in your life in the punishing ways in which it distorts and warps and destroys American families and lives is a joke to me. Not a very funny one. How happy were you? You got to interview Stotts and Sabatello. Yeah, I was cool with it. I mean, I didn't have to do any work to set it up, so it was fine. Uh, what do you think of the what? Do you, what is the upside of the Pereira versus Adesanya fight for the UFC? I know it's not easy getting favors when you're top of the division, but it seems like the UFC has purposely seeked out Pereira and fast tracked him to a fight in which he has a good chance of beating one of their biggest stars. Something just feels off to me what about that feels off? Like, okay, we all agree that Pereira's being fast-tracked. I don't think you could really make an argument that he's not. Right? He, he is. But, they have history. Pereira got 
was given a very tough challenge in Sean Strickland, and he mowed him down. He's 34, 35, something like that. He's not young. Like, you got to act now if you're going to do it. And I think Izzy's bored with beating these guys. Candidly, at middleweight, I think he's bored. He might not have much time left at middleweight, especially if he beats Pineda. He's probably for sure is done after that. Uh, so why not? This is what you want your promotion to do. What you don't want them to do is to protect their stars where they never have to take on tough fights. That's what you don't want. You're getting the opposite of that here. You're getting the opposite of that. And really, one of the reasons why people think it like Pereira is such a tough challenge for him is because, and I go back to this, like I, I you, know, you guys know, man, I love the champ. I think he's just one of the most remarkable fighters I've ever had the opportunity to cover. He messaged me recently, as a matter of fact. Like, I like him a lot. I like him a lot. Um, I'd be curious to see how he plans to approach this fight because if Izzy has really worked on his well-roundedness to the point where his grappling can now be offensive, he can mop the floor with Pereira, in which case, like, go to 205 because you have nothing left here, King. Like, you know what I mean? The reason folks think it might be competitive is because they think it's going to work its way out on the feet, and, of course, it certainly might. I, I don't know which way it's going to go. But, um, but... This is what you want. Like, I have plenty of criticisms to make of the UFC, but you can't make a criticism every time they do anything. Sometimes you got to be fair to them. And in this particular case, like, this one's really easy, man. Um, they are giving a very difficult fight to one of the more decorated champs. It's one of the reasons why, like, guys at the top don't hold on to titles for very long for the most part. It's because, fuck, it's, they are getting fed lions constantly. Constantly. I actually think this is one of the the reality. I mean, yeah, it's the matchmaker model, and there's favoritism, so you can make a criticism in that way. But if you're asking me, this is one of the things UFC actually does pretty well, to be quite honest with you. Let's see. Of the following, who is the most underappreciated fighter? Demetrius Johnson, Alexander Volkov, Israel Adesanya, Henry Cejudo. Gonna be DJ or Volk. DJ or Volk. Um, Izzy gets his flowers and has certainly got them on occasion, although there's this constant tension with that. Cejudo might deserve more, but he's been gone for so long and gone so quickly that I think he did it to himself a little bit. DJ is definitely criminally underrated, and so is Volkanovski, but he kind of gets... Yeah, probably DJ. Probably DJ. How, oh, how close were you to quitting when Showtime asked you to do a dissected on Jake Paul? You know what's funny? At first, I was I said no. At first, I said no. Let me see if I can pull this up, actually. Let me see. Uh, let's see. All right. Let me show you this. Sorry, I got a bunch of things that came in all at once. So when they first asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, I'd rather just die. But then I started watching the fights, and I thought to myself, that's interesting. Um, what could I find here? Let me go to the end here. I want to show you one thing I discovered that I thought was noteworthy. I, there was a lot of things I saw. So what was one thing that I saw? One was... 
Um, well, he used to have an issue with holding center. He used to have an issue with sort of the first fight. You'll notice that he's constantly on the outside, right? He's sort of circling way, way on the outside. and His footwork is a disaster. In the second fight, he is much better about claiming center and actually had a pretty big impact on the fight. But that's not what I wanted to show you. What I wanted to show you was this. Hold on. Oh, Jesus Christ. How can I be dumber? Hang on. Let me show you. I want, to, I want you to take a look at this. You're going to see it here on a jab. He has a real bad habit of looking straight down and not at his opponent. Now, this is a case where he's doing it off of a jab, but check this out. He does this a lot. Watch him here. Constantly. Excuse me. Constantly looking down. There's an, He does this also when he is throwing a punch with an overhand as well. Let me see if I can show you a good example of it. There we are. Whoops. Let's see here. I want to find a good example of this where he's throwing this punch in that way I'm talking about. Let's see. Okay, here's a great example of it. So here comes Woodley, right? Pay attention to Jake's eyes here. Right? Pay attention to that. Watch what happens when he comes in. He just looks, look at that. He looks straight down and then throws this overhand like this. And it kind of misses, kind of lands, but he can't really see. Folks, this is hardly an optimal position to throw punches from. But more to the point, yesterday on uh, Twitter, I had said I found the odds being close kind of surprising. And again, you know, odds being close are, you know, why would the line be a certain way and how people are betting on it and everything else like that. So, like, lines being close isn't necessarily shorthand for saying that the fight is as close as the line itself. There can be a lot of different ways in which... Um, that line could not be fully mathematically representative of the actual chances of the combatants. But Silva is the uh, existing favorite, and um, but I did not see a favorite by much. I thought he would be a much bigger fight, a much bigger favorite. Again, sort of wondering what the situation was. Um, but it's stuff like that. Like when you go through that tape, um, he doesn't do that early in the second fight. He does it all the time in the first fight. He doesn't do it early in the second fight, which means that's something they've probably been working on. But as the second fight gets going, he kind of reverts back to a lot of his older habits, which is just a function of just not having that much time training, not having that... I'm not saying he does not training hard. That's not the same thing. You can train your ass off for a year, but you've not been training as long as someone who's been training hard for 10, right? There's only... You literally just don't, don't have that. That doesn't mean that each ind individual session was not difficult, but it does mean that there's just not that overall body of work that you really have to get in there to refine your senses, refine your technique. And by the way, it should be noted that when he lands that thudding right hand that puts Woodley's lights out, he doesn't look down. He actually looks forward. So he, you can see he's got the capability to do it. However, he does that all the time. And there's not just that. There's a few other things that are like that are going to get him into trouble. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be a much better version by the next fight that he has than whatever he showed in the second Woodley fight. 
But that thing I showed you, that isn't even... I could find 30 more instances of it in just in the second fight. Like, it's constant. It's constant. Dude, you do that against Anderson Silva enough times, you're going you're gonna to hit, hit the canvas and not wake up until they get the smelling salts. Like, that's just the reality of it. You know, so people were like, well, Silva's 47. Y- yes, I know. I'm well aware of that. Oh, uh, Luke Silva's, uh, his chin's not what it used to be. Fair enough. I, I understand that. I, I'm, when I'm arguing that Silva should be a bigger favorite, I'm not arguing that without knowledge that he's 47 <laughs> or without knowledge that he's not as durable as he once was. Like, I, I understand those things, and I factored that in. Even factoring that in, I think there should still be a gap between them. Now, I do think it's winnable for Jake, and these things are crazy. And with an older guy, man, you never really know when the bottom's going to drop out, like when they're going to get tired and what it's going to look like. And and once things start to go poorly for them, they kind of go poorly very quickly. But nevertheless, stuff like what I just showed you, which I found on tape, and I found numerous instances of it I'm telling you you pull something like that against Anderson Silva it's going to be you're going to have a bad day you're going to have a real bad day and you know if Silva ends up sleeping him which I don't know if he would but if he did what does that do to the entire like modus operandi here um, is really the thing so keep that in mind all right let's go to if there are any uh, paid questions let's do that Let's see what we got here. If there, I don't think there's many today, but we'll see what we have. Oops, wrong one. All right. Oh, just a few. All right. Uh, could you recommend good slash informative slash helpful podcast resources for young men trying to become better people and find their place in the world? At this point, just anyone better than Andrew Tate. Yeah, I mean, that's not that's a low bar. Um I I would, I, folks. I got to tell you, I I don't know that I have any like specifically in my mind directed towards men in that way. I don't think you need some like dominant male authority figure. I just think you need smart people who can give you good information. There's this we, there, that's not weird. There's a natural tendency, I think, for young men who might be lost that they need another male figure to help them guide their way out of it. And I'm not saying that that couldn't be valuable. Of course it could be. What I'm trying to tell you is the real benefit you will get is from someone irrespective of gender who just has smart things to say. What you need to seek out are smart people. Um, And in in terms of podcasts, I don't know that I have anything. I don't have like self-help podcasts in that way. I just try to listen to people who are subject matter experts in whatever subject that they are doing a podcast on. And I try to learn from them. Uh, I don't. I don't like I think I think it's some somewhat again not if you found the right one but I think it's a mistake to as a young man to like exclusively say uh which I'm not necessarily suggesting that your question is this way I just want to head it off at the pass well what are some other young things for what are the things for young men um good advice Good advice. It can. It doesn't need to be specifically tailored to you. Enough good advice will, if taken into consideration and enacted, should put you on enough of a trajectory for most of your issues to be resolved. Take a shot every time BC brings up a dong joke of some kind in front of a fighter during an interview. Uh, 
Uh, Luke, thanks for answering my paradigm Q&A last week. Or Q slash A. Last, uh, last month I asked what could be Izzy's next fight after Pereira. Probably 205. But no answer. Izzy did a recent interview before Leon's win was asked about Till. Could be Till, I suppose, but he's got a lot of work to do. He said, quote, I'd give Till a title shot after one win. And with Leon's win and Sean's pullout, could Till fight Jared, right? With a win set up Izzy versus Till at the UFC Wembley. It seems like all of that is possible, just not very speculative. Uh, Luke, you mentioned on MK something like, if you're a diehard sports fan, you're you're for sure an, an absentee parent. Super unpopular opinion, but accurate. Yes, that's the that's the that's the Luke Thomas way, right? Super unpopular, but accurate. Um, but that's actually not what I said. It was not about. I mean, yeah, it could be some hardcore sports fans, but not really. It's really about like hardcore NFL fans, like people who have like NFL teams tattooed on their body. These people are almost certainly reprobates. That's the issue. Just want to shout out your street thug cat booger. He's been dead for a year, but thank you. Well, it says free money. Thank you. Uh, opinion on DMT. No, I don't do a lot of hardcore drugs, man. I don't do a lot of hardcore drugs. Uh, someone says, Anderson likes to set traps by allowing his opponents to corner him with his back against the ropes slash cage. Example being against Bonner and Tito. As a fan, I get it, but it makes me nervous. Would this be a mistake against Shake Paul? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Getting him to come to you? Yeah. I think that would be very good for Anderson. Uh, Luke, you have brought up few times that fans didn't care about fighters' pay. I mean, not all of them. And they will still watch. Why do fighters keep fighting then? Because they get paid. There's a lot of phoniness about, you know, everyone's relationship to the other one. It's all very transactional, which is why fans feel entitled to boo. Um, but, yeah, it's because they get paid. But, like, oh, I fight for the fans. I, I hope you guys know that. Being, I mean, I'm sure some of them do. I'm sure sometimes they really feel that love and support. I think a lot of times they're just saying it. Why do we see more grapplers avoiding other grapplers? Both Brady and Shavkat come to mind. They keep calling out Wonder Boy. Well, that's less about that. I mean, Brady just fought Michael Chiesa and grappled him, so that doesn't really work. And Shavkat's got a lot of finishes, so that doesn't really work either. Uh, but what I would say is that they were just looking for a big name. To continue on the fighter pay, even the core... Pay, pay goes up by 2 to 5% lower than inflation at 10%, so real wages are going down. Fundamental question, will people ever unite to resolve anything? In various in employment sectors, sure. If you're asking me in MMA, I don't think so. I'm heading to C.T. Fletcher's home to drop off merch from Nate Diaz's team. Oh, snap. For UFC 279, any message you'd like me to deliver? It's still your motherfucking set. How about that? Uh, hey Luke, huge fan from SiriusXM to the MMA Hour to now. As a French Canadian, I gotta ask, do you know why UFC is reluctant to come back to Quebec? Um, well, it's Canada more generally, and I think it has to do with at this point the fact that the market has been. Man, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of like historical watching this past week for an assignment, and uh, some of these old Canadian events, you just can't. The crowd is rabid. Man, if you just are new to MMA or post-Rousey new to MMA, post-Rousey Connor, and you missed like the true punctuated heyday of Canadian MMA, Jesus, it's hard to believe what has happened. But in partly, so there's that, the sort of overall degradation of the market. And then on the other side, the issue is, uh, 
I think there's still vaccine requirements that the UFC doesn't feel like they can or should have to meet. And so there they are. There they are. Every sport is trying to negotiate this. I've seen like in, in like MLB, they have issues and, and NBA, they have issues and they are all resolved one way or the other through different mechanisms. But yeah, it's, it's a pain in the ass all the way around. All right, let's do this very quickly. Then we'll hit some uh, very fast, what you call it? Uh, super excited for the Charles Islam fight. I'm wondering what you think is the most likely outcome. Probably a finish for sure. I don't see that one going to a decision at all. Probably most likely outcome. That's a tough one to give a most likely outcome to. Um, Islam by TKO, maybe. I don't. I could come to regret that, but I think that might be the case. Something like that. All right, let's quickly go back if we can. Excuse me. To the community in the community all right we'll do some of these rapid fire and then we shall call it a day should bkfc be sponsored by burger king or kentucky fried chicken Ooh, zaxby's you ever been to zaxby's it's overrated but still pretty good Luke, I started training Muay Thai. I work in construction, residential plumbing, and the combination of work and training has me losing an unhealthy amount of weight. When you were a jacked-up monster of a human crushing unsuspecting white belts on the mat, what foods and supplements would you take? Yeah, you have to make sure you have enough, you have to eat enough calories. I mean, um, the issue isn't so much like what's the right thing to eat. Yeah, some things are more calorically dense than others. You really just have to make sure you put high-quality foods into your body. Um and really, you should be eating high-quality foods whether you're on a diet or whether you're not on a diet, to be honest with you. So, like, the food doesn't really change all that much. Certainly a lot of carbs and, and proteins. Um, you know, I wouldn't overdo it with the fats. But, you know, big portions of pasta, big portions of rice, lean proteins, chicken, fish, 93.7, ground beef. Um, making sure you're getting enough protein powder or other kinds of forms of additional uh, uh, protein supplementation if you need that as well. And you need to make sure you're eating enough. Like, dude, like you watch those strong men. Like, they all talk about, like, what's the hardest part of the job? It's not really the training, although that's pretty tough. It's the eating. Because they have to eat 10,000 calories a day just to be able to do what they do. So it's, like, massive quantities of food that they're constantly stuffing in. Uh, let's see. Anyway, that the evolution of MMA, we see the slow chess match style of fights becoming more prominent, resulting in less fan-friendly matchups happening more and more frequently. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't call it slow chess match, but decisions, there's more decisions now than there ever have been. Uh, and I would say that it's a result of the game becoming more intelligent and people not becoming more risk-averse per se, but much more risk-observant. And people at the game kind of leveling out in terms of overall pronounced ability. Not people can't get better, but like there's general best practices and there's various standards and people can fight up to them and they can meet in certain ways where you're just going to get more of them. Yeah, sure. I don't think, it, you know, I don't know how much it'll be the norm. I think MMA is pretty chaotic and will, will remain so for a very long time. But yeah, you're going to get more of these for sure. Um, Just a couple more. Let's see. 
Anderson is 47 now and about to box a YouTube vlogger. Could you have seen this 10 years ago when he was at middleweight? Probably not. Um, in a lot of Patty's fights before the UFC, he would jump guard when being pressed against the fence and force grappling and scrambles. Do you think this is a viable tactic to avoid being smashed, held along the fence, or does the grappling skill between fighters have to be great? Yes, I would not recommend it. You can get away with that at lower levels, um, and you can even get away with it at mid-levels if you're very good. You're going you're gonna to get your ass kicked eventually doing that. It's, it doesn't scale uh, up the food chain very well. Why don't we as a community say that John Jones has the longest win streak in UFC history? Since his DQ loss, he has gone on a 17-fight win streak with one no contest. Doesn't any no contest essentially mean the fight didn't happen? Not really. That's sort of what the problem is there. Um, let's see. On Monday, you no-sold BC on his praise of Habib as a person of integrity. Is this because of his fundamental fundamentalist Islamic beliefs on women culture? No, it has nothing to do with it. It's merely that I don't know him as a person and neither does BC. Neither of us really know this person. I can tell you that you can, like, his professional commitments and the ways in which he has upheld them in honor to what he said to his parents, this seems all commendable. I don't know him as a person. Like, so let's praise him as a person of integrity. You don't even know him. How could you possibly say that? And there's a lot of people I have met who looked like people of integrity, and then they got to know them, and it was very much not the case. I think it's just a safer and, frankly, more media-appropriate thing to just evaluate their professional career to the best you can. Like, the fans want the MMA media to be cheerleaders of the guys they like and the haters are the ones they don't, and they want that to be reflected in either personal attacks or personal stories that make this you know individual person, male or female, to be this like great, grand hope of everything. And again, there might be some of them. I'm not saying that there's not. I, I'm not telling you he, he is or he isn't. I'm merely, I merely am trying to retain my focus on the professional acts that he's had and they've been spectacular and remarkable beyond maybe anything we've ever seen or certainly right on par with the very, very best. Like that's where I think my focus should be kept. And of course, you know, we're all going to fail at that at times. We are going to make assessments about their, them as people outside of their professional occupation. But as a general orientation, my view is not that he is or isn't a person of integrity. I don't know him. My view is that as a uh, professional in this space, we should keep our focus on media largely, perhaps not exclusively, but largely about that. I don't know what kind of person he is. And neither does BC and neither do the rest of you. Um, so he might be great. I don't know. He might be terrible. I don't know. I, I literally don't know. But I do know what kind of professional competitor he was. And I feel very equipped to have some opinions about that. All right. All right, with that in mind, let us call it a day. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Thumbs up, hit subscribe. This will be up later. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have that Jake Paul thing coming out, for, but that'll be on the MK channel eventually. Uh, MK, live in studio tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. I have to get up at the butt crack of dawn again to go up to old Jersey City. Yes? All right, very good. Thank you all so much for watching. I appreciate it. Until next time.